0: The Christmas story of Luke chapter 2. We've heard it, many of us, from when we were like those little kids that were just up in front of you. In fact, we could probably almost repeat it sort of as it flows when it was just described in that video. The manger scene, the shepherds, the intensity of the moment. Sometimes it becomes a little bit not like a powerful message that the angels brought but it has become a little bit more like folklore. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what the Christmas season, that's all a little bit a part of it. But I want us to look afresh at the Christmas story of Jesus being born into this world, the Son of God himself, and see if today, today maybe, maybe for you, this Christmas season, there can be some fresh change and regeneration that happens in your heart because of this story. That's at the center of all this season is about. Now, I know many of you have, like me, probably been engaged in a lot of different activity in the last few weeks. And we still got a few days of this activity, maybe all the way into the new year and uh, looking forward to it ourselves. But I tell you what, it keeps you moving from day to day. This week alone, we uh, had the opportunity to be a part of three different. Well, I don't know. There's you know, there's the. The programs, the productions, uh, the parties, the plans, right? It, it's all a part of our life. But uh, I had three this week that I was able to be together with my family on. The first, we kicked it off at the top concerning the production. We were at Disneyland and we went to California Adventure. And if you've been there during Christmas time, they put on an incredible display with the world of color. And they build it around uh, the character Frozen and all that's gone on. You, How many of you have seen the World of Color, right? If not, we need to get you there somehow. All right, I am amazed. I've, I've seen World of Color a few times now. I made the big step because the rest of my family had it. So I bought one of those yearly passes. And so I have no excuse now to be with my family if they want to go. And it's only an hour away, right? But we're gathered there for the World of Color on Monday night. And uh, the display of all the water, and we had a, a, um, a position that was closer to the water so you could see everything. And then as the mist sprays, they're able to have all the, this huge panoramic video going on. And uh, they did a great job, could not complain about anything, very enjoyable. And uh, they tried to incorporate some different kinds of mix and variety, so they had a Hanukkah song in there as well, and, and some uh, cultural diversity, so they had Feliz Navidad, and so we sang that in it. And then there was this um, a big song uh, that we're familiar with called Joy to the World. Do you know that song? Joy to the world. Oh, you're so good. did you know the second verse is "Joy to the world." Oh, you guys are so good. Yeah, we should just have a whole big choir today, right? Well, they got going on, and they man, they 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 build it up. Joy, joy to the world. I mean, I don't know if this was before or after the "Let it go, let it go" song, but you know, that's, whatever. And so. Joy to the world! I'm like, yeah, joy to the world! All the lights, everything going on, and then I'm waiting for the next phrase. Joy to the world! The Lord has come. They didn't sing it, or the Savior reigns. They didn't sing it, and I'm sitting, I'm standing there thinking to myself. I'm not being a sour Christian, one of those stuck in the, you know, uh, whole kind of people, but I'm thinking to myself. Wow, what a great audience. All these people packed around. And we could declare joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. The Savior reigns. But it didn't go there. We enjoyed that night. We exited out, got home, those kinds of things. And then we went to uh, our uh, schools, our, uh, our daughter's uh, schools program, right? So you go to the schools program. And they have all the kids, they bring them up, and every class had their own song, right? And every class had a, you know, a good Christmas carol, a good Christmas song, but I kept waiting. I'm waiting for something more than, we wish you a Merry Christmas, here comes Santa Claus, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, you know? I'm I'm waiting for something, and I didn't get anything! Anything! I didn't get anything. Now, that's a little different culturally for us because back still in the Midwest and in the South, sometimes I felt like we were almost at a church meeting when we had some of the big high school productions with the songs that they used. So, I don't know, maybe it's true in some other schools around here or not. I don't know. But, you know, that's the drift. That's the trend, isn't it? It's because we're doing all the Christmas stuff without the Christmas story in the middle of it. And it's really frustrating. Well, thankfully, we went to another production last night at Cornerstone Church with some of you who were here up in Hemet, and they had plenty of the Christmas story front and center. But this is what it reminds me of. We have a high responsibility here this morning to do something, to uphold and steward well the Christmas story that the king is here. And that the king has come. And I trust you never, ever get tired of the Christmas story. Such as described in Luke 2. May it never grow old. May it never become folklore. May you never easily dismiss the blessing it is to know that story. That the king is here. Christ has come. There is joy to the world. Because of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. And here this morning, maybe you're someone who's gone to church your whole life. Maybe you used to go to church when you were little and haven't been back to church for a while and you're here. Maybe you really haven't shadowed the door of a church much at all and somebody invited you. Or maybe you received an invitation to be here for this morning. I want you to know that that story that was depicted before you is a story that's personal for you and your life. Because Jesus can change your life wherever you're at this very hour i believe it some around you believe it there's a whole world full of people whose lives have been changed because of the life of jesus christ coming into this world i want to encourage us that as we reflect upon how things are in our day and age that we never grow weary of being mindful of the blessing we have even as a country to have front and center a holiday such as Christ Mass. Because it's not true in some other places, or if it is, it's just one of many. You know, I came across a statistic this week that um, half of the people who were there for uh, the constitutional congregation, uh, constitutional um, meeting that they had when they put the U.S. Constitution together, half of the people that were there in that room hammering that out had either had some Bible or seminary education in their life. But yet we live in a world that's rapidly moving into a secular kind of dimension. And I came across this this week, and I just thought that it speaks so uh, pungently to uh, what's happening in our world. Ravi Zacharias wrote something describing what's happening with our culture, and maybe you can give um, some sentiment to his words. In Thailand and Indonesia, Christmas carols are sung in shopping centers and Christmas trees adorn airports. But in America, the anti-Christian bias of silly advertisements, like the one in Bloomingdale's, which just simply says, merry, happy, love, peace, reflect ideas firmly planted in midair and proclaim no reason for the season. Who is offended by a public celebration of Christmas? The anti-Christian secularist who lives under the illusion that values are cradled in a vacuum. Peace and love for what? What do these terms really mean? Are they self-evident? Not by any means. America may not be a Christian nation per se, but only the Judeo-Christian worldview could have framed such a nation's ideas and values. All men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. No other religion or secular assumption can affirm such a statement except the Judeo-Christian worldview. But today, that very world view on which our systems of government are based and law are based is explained, expelled away from the marketplace. Democracies that are unhinged from all sacred moorings ultimately sink under the brutal weight of conflicting egos. Freedom is destroyed not just by its retraction, but more often by its abuse. It is not odd, is it? That whenever it has power, liberalism and anything is anything but liberal, both in the areas of religion and politics. We now have something called spirituality because people don't like the word religion. What does spirituality mean? It means you may believe anything you wish to believe, but regarding, regarding ultimate things, no absolutes, please." The relativism and spirituality with which our society lives have one thing in common. They are both sophisticated ways of self-worship. It is not an accident that even as Christian values have been jettisoned, the world is economically and morally on the verge of bankruptcy. Oh, but Jesus' name still surfaces in the West, maybe more often than any other name. Why? Because profanity still reigns. Oh, yes, and the God still figures in our philosophy, even when Mother Earth quakes and thousands die, we still blame Father God. The banishment of Christmas may be the anti theist great longing, but they still want the gifts of Christmas, love, joy, peace, and reason. Malcolm Muggeridge once opined that we have educated ourselves into imbecility. What are we celebrating at Christmas. What is the message of Christmas? It is the birth of the one who promised peace, joy, and love. Try as we will, we cannot realize such values without acknowledging the point of reference for these absolutes, the very person of God and his gift to us of a changed heart and will. That message needs to be heard around our world that is reeling with problems and ripe with hate. For we have proven we are not fit to be God. G.K. Chesterton was right. The problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting, but it has been found difficult and left untried. The gift of transforming grace. The gift of transforming grace is what the story of Christmas is about the world with its ills and its its problems and its hatreds and its indifference and its comings and its goings into this world god said i'm going to do something about it we go great finally somebody's shown up to do something about it and he sends a baby he picks a young teen age girl who is a virgin and he comes through her, and t- that's the solution? But you've got to pause. You've got to rewind a little bit. This is the God that created the universe. He knows what's going on. He created you and I. He created all humanity. And he realized that the sin that came into the world through the volitional free wills that we have, whether to choose him or to not choose him, has wreaked havoc through generations. And so the God of the universe stepped back, and he says, how am I going to correct all these ills? I think I'll just wipe them all out, just like I did with Noah. And just leave one family of righteousness. No. He says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give them a gift. And the gift that I'm going to give is going to be a gift that will change and transform each and every life. Who's willing to receive the gift? But we can't really receive and hold the baby like, you know, the kids were holding the baby up here, the baby Jesus. Because Jesus was born, he lived a sinless life, he proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand, his reign for our hearts and lives. He healed people of their diseases. He spoke truth, and people were drawn and attracted to him, including the little kids, right? But he died on a cross. He was raised in the grave. He ascended into the heavens, and he's gone. So how do you walk up and hug Jesus? He's not here. He's not a gift to have. He sent his spirit, though. He said it was to our advantage that he goes away. He sends his spirit, and his spirit is in this room right here, moving up and down each of these rows by you where you're seated right now. And he basically, through his spirit, urges you to receive him as king into your life. And through that entrance, he will change your life. And through your changed life, he can change our world. There's another writer that I follow some. His name is N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright... um, he talks about this whole concept. He's, he's a great New Testament theologian. This whole concept of like, wow, that, that was the plan? That was the plan? A baby born to a virgin? He says, the virginal conception speaks powerfully of new creation. Something fresh happening within in the old world. Beyond the reach and the dreams of the possibilities we currently know. And if we believe that the God we're talking about is the creator of the world who longs to rescue the world from its corruption and decay, then an act of real new creation, anticipating, in fact, the great moment of Easter itself yet to come, might just be what we should expect. However trembling, if and when this God decides to act to bring the new creation about. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all people, Scripture teaches The real objection to the virginal conception is not primarily scientific. It is deeper than that. It is the notion that a new world really might be starting up within the midst of the old. Our entire culture simply doesn't want to know about a God who does something new. Christmas as nostalgia, that's fine. It's part of the old world that makes us feel at home. Christmas as nostalgia. A shopping bonanza? That's fine. Because, again, we have submitted the message back into the old world of getting and spending. Christmas has family time. Well, that's okay, though it is now routine to sneer at that, too. Perhaps because families, warts and all, can actually be a sign of God's grace and new life. But Christmas? Christmas as the living God doing something new? under the nose of Herod, doing a new thing within the womb of Mary, and even shock horror, doing a new thing within our own hearts and lives, that is so threatening that it's best, so our culture thinks, to sneer at the very mention. I think one of the reasons you don't see the story of Christmas In the Christmas celebrations, the productions and the programs and the parties going on is because there's that subtle sneering of like, really, I'm past that. I'm grown up. It's okay for kids to walk into a church and sing glorious about the king. But really, come on now. And maybe it's not so much a scientific denial as it is a volitional denial. We don't want to think God's doing something new but He is. He is. I invite you, if you have your Scriptures, to turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, depicts a prophetic word thousands of years ago by the prophet Isaiah. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I think is really cool about the Christian faith is that it's just not... Pop culture for today. It's very relevant today. We're talking about changed lives today. But you go back and you realize that God's been doing this thing woven throughout all of history. And here we go back how many generations upon generations upon generations ago. And God sees the world. He sees the problems with the world. And he speaks through the prophet Isaiah these words. Out of the New Living Translation, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now, this is a place in Israel. Jesus was born where? In Israel, right? So it's depicting this future coming of glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian the boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And then in verse six comes the words that maybe you've heard before and familiar with, especially during this time of year. And why is this? Because these words thousands of years ago are depicting the story of Christmas. Verse six for a child is born. A son is given and The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment to the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now look at this passage for a little bit if you will. It's talking about a government that's to come. Wouldn't have that made a lot more sense with all the trouble and the despondency and and trauma in our world? If God would just come down and give us a new government for the whole world. But he's saying that he's going to give a new government but the government is going to be with a child who's born. With a son who is given. I've made this distinction before to you sometimes. And I think it's important because Jesus was God himself come in the flesh. It's a crazy, obnoxious idea. It's it's not only an obnoxious idea, it's a blasphemous idea to both the Jew and the Muslim. That God himself would come in human flesh. But it says here that he was not, God was not born. The son always existed. A child was born. A son was given. The son always existed. He was born incarnated into the life of a little baby, a human being. And this was God's choice to then give this gift to the world. And that this gift of this child who would be born would establish a new government and a new reign in all the world. All right. Thank you, Pastor. Where's it at? I've been watching the news this week. Ah don't think God's slow. God's timing's just right. Jesus was born two thousand years ago. God Himself came into this world. He will be called wonderful counselor. All wise, all knowing. I love the word wonderful because I love wonder. I like surprises. I like to be blown away. I like to be enthralled. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. I want a God. I want a, uh, a, somebody to do something right that has the power to make things happen. And He is mighty and powerful and full of strength. God Himself. Everlasting Father. Oh, friends. God was never described as Father. But he is the eternal one who comes and gives you that love, that companionship, that counsel, that encouragement and direction. And then the prince of peace. Oh, for peace. You know, Jesus, he cried over Jerusalem when he was here physically on the earth. He cried and he prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. In fact, they still cry and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we see what happens in the Middle East and other places. And we too say, oh, may there be peace. But not only in other countries and other places, even like Israel, but even in our own country, right? With turmoil that goes on, different things. I'm sure many of you were aware that two New York's uh, police officers were just point blank killed sitting in their police car yesterday. Seemingly in retaliation for the Garner event and how things get ratcheted up, yeah, through the media, but, you know, friends, there's turmoil in the souls of all of us and unrest. Wishing that there would be peace. Wishing that there would be justice. Wishing that there would be freedom and liberty. Our heart longed for that. God knew that. And His choice to change the world and to change your predicament was to send a baby. A baby. But it was His entrance into our everyday situation that brings about the possibility for you to have true hope and change. Because if our world is ever to be made new, if there's ever to be some sense of government that was pure, holy, righteous, above board and effective, The only way to see change in the world is to see change in the hearts of people. And so that was God's intent. Through the child that was born, he entered into this world. And then ultimately, when he died, he rose from the grave. He sent his spirit. And like we've talked about here a number of weeks, he is coming again. This whole epic drama that's going on, it's God's means of giving you and I hope, giving you and I love, giving you and I peace, giving you and I grace. Things can change because of his entrance into the world. And things can change in your life if you allow him to enter in. Maybe it's because I get older. Maybe it's because I do watch too much news. I don't know. But my heart grieves at different places and points in time. This week I found myself, you know, there was the slaughtering of 130 children in a Pakistani school by the Taliban. Who does that? Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Someone whose heart hasn't been changed by the God that entered into the world and has no identity with their religious background. It's true of each and every one of us. If God doesn't change the heart, there is a bent that moves us towards evil. Oh, maybe not that kind of despicable evil, but evil as far as being a life outside of God's presence. But I found myself driving. I don't know why it came across me. And I I, I guess, you know, I have a heart for the Muslim world, and I pray God work there in one sense. But I just found myself driving in a car soberly saying, Jesus, today, I pray somewhere in that Pakistani environment that's happening, even in that town, in that school with... And I guess the, the children were part of uh, some of the government leaders of the day. Just would you change the heart of Muslim people so that they can discover that you are not just a prophet, but that Jesus, you were the son of God, that you were a child who was born, but you were a son who was given. You are always pre-existent, and you can come into the world and into their life and into their country and into their community. And you can be change. Oh, God, may that be so. And may you raise up missionaries and other Christian leaders who can share the good news of the Christmas story Jesus I pray today in my car would you so bless the Muslims to come to know you that's where my heart goes why because we have an answer we have a hope if you don't have that hope then all you sit around and just go oh my goodness I live in such a terrible world What are we going to do? And maybe it's not something ugly like that overseas or something that happened like in New York City. Maybe it's something that happened in your workplace this week where somebody sort of, well, you won't say it, but they stabbed you in the back. Or maybe somebody's out to to ruin your name. Or maybe you're feeling financial pressure and you're just burned down trying to keep your head above water. Maybe... You have some physical ailment going on and you're like, is this body ever going to get corrected? And the the truth of the matter is maybe not in this life. But because of Christ, we have hope that change can happen and that hope came into the world. We'd like to see our our external circumstances change. We still live in a fallen world and Jesus comes back again. But he can change your heart and how you respond to those situations that are around you. But the question is this, if God sent his king, his son to be a king into this world, has he become the king in your own life first? Because that's where change has to go. And we have to steward that change and move it from one generation to the next. You know, I find it interesting. We go home for Christmas on Christmas Day. Um, Christmas Eve service. 4 a.m., on a plane, flying back to the Midwest. Why? Because we have extended family there, and for every year that I know of, we've been with our mom, my mom. There's five of us siblings, and we're going to hold, by my sister's conviction, Christmas on Christmas Day for mom. So I think we will get to north-central Indiana, hopefully by 6 p.m., And we will have Christmas. And I heard my sister is able to come from Houston, so all five siblings will be there. We'll rejoice with that. The following week, we go down to my wife Melissa's family and have Christmas with them on New Year's Day and and enjoy that time together. But I don't know how many will make it this year, but there's five siblings. There's 18 uh, cousins, my nieces and nephews. And now, for the first time, we have a new generation. The next generation is coming along. So does it make me a great uncle? I guess. I don't know. But I think to myself, friends, and it was part of what I experienced this week a little bit, and I'm not trying to be, you know, overly dramatic about it. But it's not going to be the private entertainment business or the public educational system or corporate America or the American government that's going to steward the life-changing message of Jesus Christ from one generation to the next to the next. It's going to be us. And so when it comes this Christmas season and for your week and whatever family you're with, I encourage you at some place, even if it's just in the prayer before the meal, thank God that he did something with this world and that he came into this world to be our Savior and that he's in this world working until he comes again and this world is going to be underneath his government and his freedom. And may we never grow tired or weary of that story because that story changes lives. You know, the gift of transforming grace, we need to be reminded that the first subject on God's agenda when He comes to you personally is not to talk about judgment, but to come to you to talk about His love. It's amazing today how fear, how we fear the drawing near to God. Uh, The first thing that He's going to do is He's going to want to talk to us about You're not living right. You've really been messing up. That's not why God sent his son Jesus into this world. In fact, it says this in a familiar passage in John 3, 17. These are the words of Jesus himself, the baby who was born, who began his ministry. He spoke these words to the established government of his time, if you will, the religious government, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And that's the message we steward from one generation to the next and is given and offered to you today. That God is not here to judge you. He's here to love you, to embrace you, and He gave up His position in the heavenly realms to be born as a lowly infant in a decadent fallen world so that you could find salvation, find transformation, so that your life could be changed through his gift of grace. Jesus spoke those words, so he, he's speaking these words, and he's talking about himself, right? What's the verse before this? The famous verse, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then after this, it goes on and it says, For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. But here's the sad thing. Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men, women, everyone loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So descriptive. Jesus knew his world at that time. Jesus knows our world today. But you need to know he can change the story of your life, the testimony of your life, if you will but do, as it says, believe in him. You will not perish in this life or the life to come. That is the free gift of grace that's offered. The gift of grace is Jesus himself. Now, Christmas time is... Sometimes movie time, right? There's a movie that comes out on Christmas Day. Not the one that's been in the news with Korea and all that stuff, right? Unbroken. Are you familiar with this coming out? Maybe you've seen some of the highlights of it. It comes from a very popular book that was written uh, by Laura Hillenbrand called Unbroken. And this book had sat on the shelf for a number of years to be a movie, but nobody wanted to take it on. Angelina Jolie decided to take the movie on. And so she brought it into existence, and she got to know the guy who the story's all about. And the guy's name is Louis, or Louis Zamperini. Guess what? He's a local boy. I even know some of you have connections in Torrance. They called him the Torrance Tornado because he was one rowdy kid. He died in July. After seeing just an initial uncut version. God took him to be with him. I think he was 96 years old. And this story describes a young, wild kid out of Torrance, California, going to the Olympics in World War II, crashing in the Pacific, several things. But it's a story of redemption. And so I came across this. Greg Lowry, who is an evangelist, a pastor right up the interstate, the 215 up in Riverside, he spoke with Louis Zamperini at an LA uh, Dodgers Stadium crusade um, here in the last couple, three years. Watch this, if you will.
1: Hello, Los Angeles. Welcome, Louis Zamperini. a hometown boy right here. The Torrance Tornado. (laughs) Louis. you have lived the most amazing life of any man I have ever lived. You're the only person I've ever met who shook hands with Hitler, punched a shark in the nose and went forward and accepted Christ at the Billy Graham crusade. And, and your life, it's recorded in the book Unbroken, written by Laura Hildebrand. Uh, as said, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list. It's going to be made into a major motion picture. But, Louis, you, you've suffered. It's like you've lived, lived multiple lifetimes. You know, Louis, the, the track star in Torrance, not far from here. Louis, uh, who ran in the Olympics in Germany. Louis, who fought in World War II. Louis, who was a prisoner of war in a Japanese camp. Uh, Louis, the alcoholic, and now Louis, the Christian. All the suffering you've gone through in your life, do you feel it prepared you for something later in life?
2: I never knew it until I became a Christian and I realized what it was all about.
1: Yeah. And you found what you were looking for in a relationship with Jesus Christ, not far from here, in a tent with a young evangelist from North Carolina named Billy Graham. Now, when you went that night with your wife, Cynthia,
2: you didn't really want to go, did you? No. Uh, no. Why didn't you want to go? Well, I, I in those days, evangelism was kind of a dirty word. Yeah. And uh, that's why Billy got no attention until uh, uh, the wiretapper for Mickey Cohen and Stuart Hamlin, the famous cowboy singer. Right. And myself, as an Olympian, we all three became Christians the same week. Right. And because of that, uh, Hearst Newspaper decided to blow up Billy Graham, and he's been blowing up ever since. Yeah, so basically,
1: what happened in that tent was, here's a guy who was a wiretapper for the mob. He comes to faith in Christ, a very well-known celebrity of that day, Uh, comes to faith as well. So it got the attention of people, including you, and... uh, but you made a promise to God when you were on that raft. For, was it 47 days in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, fighting off sharks, fighting for your survival? You made a promise to God that if he got you out of it, you would turn to him. And you remember that promise in 1949. I
2: remember it very much. And um, it seemed like every time I escaped uh, death narrowly uh, that I would... Uh, Thank God for saving my life. And then I prayed that if he would get me home from the war alive, I would seek him and serve him. I came home alive and I turned my back on him. But on that
1: night in 1949, you didn't turn your back on him. You made a commitment to Christ. Have you ever regretted making that decision to follow Jesus Christ?
2: Well, the the thing that got me uh, started was the, first of all, the the Watanabe, the rotten guard. If it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't have had post-traumatic stress. Yeah. So I can look back and say, even though he was a brutal guard, all things do work together for good. Yes. Because eventually, as a result of his tormenting me, I had these uh, nightmares and uh, started drinking heavily. My wife decided to get a divorce. She went down to hear Billy and came home talking about this new life in Christ and tried to persuade me into going down, but I refused. But she did say because of my conversion, I'm not going to get a divorce. Well, that made me happy. So the next day I went with her, but I walked out mad because he was talking about sin, and I knew I was a sinner. But she got me back the next day, and uh, I started to leave again, but he said something like, um, when people come to the end of the rope, and there's nowhere else to turn, they turn to God. And I thought, yeah, that's what happened to me over and over again. And I came home alive. God kept His promise, but I didn't keep mine. And I really felt ashamed of myself. I went back to the prayer room. I got on my knees. In a matter of a couple of minutes, my whole life changed. Changed by Jesus Christ. Thank you, Louis
1: Zamperini, for your service to our country and all that you've done. God bless you.
0: You know, I've seen some highlights for this movie here there. You know, you just see them as you're watching TV. But my son, Zach... I was back in Indiana. He called me and he said, Dad, I picked up this book and I've been reading about this guy's life by the name of Zamperini. And he just like flew through the book. And that's not my son. Trust me. And he was just enthralled by the story of this man. The movie's been made and it's going to come out on Christmas Day. Probably a good thing to go see it. I usually recommend movies. I do understand in the movie, though, that they don't keep much of the grace message in it as it relates to his conversion to Jesus Christ. But it does talk about the grace of him offering forgiveness for his tormentors in the Japanese prison camp. But there is another thing coming out on Christmas Day, and that is an online and a DVD from the Billy Graham Crusade. And it's a documentary-style story of Louis Zamperini concerning all that Christ did for him. And I have a quote here that comes from that. I thought it was neat. They've titled it, Captured by Grace. Captured by grace. He said, I started to leave the tent meeting, and I felt awful guilty about my life. Yes, I had a lot of great times, a lot of great experiences, a lot of escape from death, but I still didn't like my life after the war. I came home alive. God kept his promise. I didn't keep mine, and so I went forward and accepted Christ. The heart of this story is when I found Christ as my Savior. That's the heart of my whole life. And so maybe if you watch the movie, go on to the Billy Graham website, listen to the rest of it. He himself had written another book describing his own walk through it. This is actually the one that my son had been reading. And he says this, After asking Christ into my heart, I waited. And then, true to his promise, he came into my heart and my life. The moment was more than remarkable. It was the most realistic experience I'd ever had. I'm not sure what I expected. Perhaps my life or my sins or a great white light would flash before my eyes. Perhaps I'd feel a shock like being hit by a bolt of lightning. Instead, I felt no tremendous sensation, just a weightlessness and an enveloping calm that let me know that Christ had come in to my heart. He was supposed to be the Grand Marshal of the Rose Parade. They're still going to honor him because the parade's about stories. What about your story? Is there a story being written that has Christ at the center, at the heart of your life story? I want to walk you through some simple steps. And these simple steps can be steps that encourage you to see that change happen in your life. The gift of transforming grace. Your life can change today. You can't change your life. But God can and will change you if you will come to Jesus. What must I do to have a changed life? I list these five. These five actually come from Greg Lowry. They're adapted from Greg Lowry in a a DVD that I want to be able to give you on your way out today that has some other life change stories in it about how Jesus was put at the center of a person's life. But it says this: For life change, admit you are a sinner and in need of God's grace. There's no way for change unless you don't aren't willing to admit that I have a problem and my problem is sin, and I need God and His grace. The second is to repent, to repent from your sins and turn towards God. You're going one way; I'm turning and going another way. And even though Louis Zamperini had cried out to God when he was, uh, his plane crashed in the Pacific and he had 47 days on a raft said, God, if you get me out of here, I'll, I'll serve you kind of thing. And he forgot all about that. that. That doesn't do any good. Just acknowledge that you need God. You have to repent and turn from a certain way of life and turn towards the loving embrace of God through His Son, Jesus. And then realize that Christ died for your sins to set you free. We talked about it last week, free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin ultimately is promised through what Christ did when he died on the cross and was raised from the grave. He broke the chains of sin. You need to realize Christ died for your sins to set you free. And then you need to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, just like we talked about with a gift that you'll receive this week. The gifts under the tree will remain under the tree unless you receive it. So also, Christ remains available to you, but you have to receive him into your life as your personal savior, the transformer, and the Lord, the leader of your life. And then the last is this. And maybe this one's a little bit more challenging when you think about it, but it really identifies if the heart has changed. Proclaim and follow him publicly every day, all your days. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Doesn't mean you'll change overnight from some of the challenges that you have or your circumstances even change. But like Louie talked about, there's a peace and a calm and a stillness. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes and give you that opportunity in your life this morning here on this Christmas Sunday if you've never received the gift of God's transforming grace through the King Jesus coming into your life, then I want to give you that opportunity now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm actually going to pick up on that last idea, the idea of proclaiming in one sense publicly that if you question whether you've ever come to know Christ, Or maybe it's the first time you've heard about the opportunity to receive him and you would like to receive him. I'm just going to simply ask you in the quietness of these moments to consider doing so. And if you want to do so, not that there's anything in it, no one's going to embarrass you by it, but I think there's a personal statement that's made. If you would just publicly, before the Lord, stand and say it's me I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life I want his change his transformation of grace to happen in my life and I just want to pray with you for that is there anyone here this morning that would just simply stand and respond to this message of God's grace the one who came to be your wonderful counselor your mighty God your everlasting father and your prince of peace Just acknowledge it by simply standing and I'll pray with you in a concluding prayer. Anyone? The scripture says that today is the day of salvation. God is patient and kind, He does not long for any to be lost or to live in a troubled world without Him. A Christmas week. And then on the heels of that, I just want you to pray maybe for someone that you're going to be interacting with this week through your holiday routines that you know needs transformation through Jesus Christ. And I want to include both today. God, we thank you for your grace, your amazing grace, and we pray that that grace would continue to work its transforming power in each of our lives if we've chosen to follow you. Lord, if we've never come to that place, and that's our desire this morning, then I pray that you would enable that individual to just pray those simple words. Those simple words of admitting, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need your grace. I repent of my sins, and I want to turn towards you, God, even though I don't know what fully all that means. I realize that you died my sins to set me free and Jesus I now receive you as my personal Lord and Savior come into my heart reign, change my heart so I can help change the world as you desire for it to be changed and Lord from this day forward to the best of my ability I will acknowledge and follow you that's the prayer of those anyone here then just take that sincerely to heart and the Lord does change your life for those of us that are maybe praying for a loved one may we just lift them to the Lord by name even now Jesus may this week my friend my relative my family member my co-worker may they come to know you or at least a step closer to having a heart that's open to you and your Amazing. Grace. Amen. I want to encourage you if um, your commitment was to follow Christ this morning, on the back of those connection cards and the back of the seat in front of you, there's a place just to acknowledge that. We want to help follow you up and encourage you in your newfound faith to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then, as I mentioned, on your way out today, we're going to sing a couple more songs. But on your way out today, I want to give you a gift that was provided to us as a church, a DVD that actually comes from Greg Lauer's ministry. I watched this. It's about 50 minutes long. It talks about three different individuals whose changed lives happened. And uh, not only for yourself, but maybe grab an extra one on your way out. Maybe this is just a simple gift you can pass on to that loved one, that family member, that co-worker. This week, and say, Hey, I know it's not much, maybe, but that's, you know, the real message of Christmas is about change lives. And here's the story of people who've had their lives changed because of the message of Christmas. And just offer this DVD to them as a gift. And in this DVD is a simple how, a plan of how to become a Christian that follows through with some of those points that we just had. So, in that, I invite you to sing together about God's amazing grace and the joy that He's brought into our world.